This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. Down the years, many critics, campaigners, scholars and journalists have pointed out that racial bias and outright racism exists in our media, both past and present. Our biggest national news producer said sorry this week to Māori for racism and stuff that spans three centuries. Stuff's Our Truth Tamato Pono Project is the most comprehensive and public-facing self-assessment by the media so far in this country. Our coverage of Māori issues over the last 160 years has ranged from racist to blinkered. In terms of representing Māori, we've been unfair and we've been unbalanced. I'm sorry for that. Sorry to Māori. Apologies are hollow, though, without a commitment to positive change. That was Mark Stevens, the editorial director of Stuff, staring down the camera in his own newsroom to deliver that apology. And a version of that apology from him was also online and printed in all of Stuff's daily papers last Monday. And even if you didn't read the paper that far in, you'd know that they were sorry by glancing at the front page. Around the country, a specially illustrated apology occupied the entire front page of the Stuff daily papers. And inside the papers, and on the Stuff website, there was much more to read about Stuff's new stance under the banner Our Truth Tamato Pono. A new charter based on Te or Waitangi principles was outlined and a pledge to confront racial bias in its reporting and in the way Stuff does business from now on. Stuff's owner Sinead Boucher also acknowledged Māori were underrepresented in Stuff's newsrooms and she said that was something the company definitely had to address and redress. And as part of the same project, local Māori with mana were invited to give their experience of the media in each region where stuff publishes. Here, for example, the chief executive of the Wakatū Incorporation in Nelson, Karenza Johnston, described the negative and enduring effects of reporting when the incorporation was formed back in 1977. There was not only unconscious bias at work, but also you know, deeply embedded racism within our community and that was reflected in some of the reporting not not all of the reporting but certainly some of it that came through so you know concern and fear about what it would mean to have a Māori incorporation in charge of um, our land um, thankfully I think we have seen a huge improvement since that time I think the nature of the reporting is much more balanced but there's, there's still a long way to go on the Stuff website and the video platform Play Stuff, there are several more videos like that from around the country. Some feature those familiar from our news down the years, such as Tame Iti from Te Uruera and Ken Mea from Whanganui, who incidentally are often labelled as activists in a way that Pākehā really are. And that was something Stuff correspondent Charlie Mitchell covered at some length in a thoughtful piece published this week all about how the media frame and label Māori people and issues in the news. Politicians like Māori Party founder Tariana Turia and current Foreign Affairs Minister Nanaia Mahuta were also invited to air grievances. But others who are not household names were also featured in this way and shed light on the experiences of the media that might not seem obvious to journalists. For example, Weremu Kingi Te Awe Awe of Manawatu Iwi Rangatane told stuff that journalists should know Māori trust a reporter by meeting them personally and walking and talking together. If, if, if I came to you... Then when I come in standard, I don't want to see anyone else, I want to see you, because you're the one I've dealt with. Whether you, it's your department or not, Maori don't think like that. They think, ah, we will see that fella, yep, good, because we trust him. Huh? Big thing, once again you trust, that's it mate. So if they come in, mightn't be in your department, but they'll ask for you. 
And on top of all that that went online last Monday, there's been a steady stream of stories since then based on a national audit of the published content at Stuff spanning three centuries, carried out by more than 20 of its journalists. One of those directing that effort was Carmen Parahi, one of Stuff's national correspondents and the editor of the Potiaki section of Stuff. And on the day all this was launched, she appeared on TVNZ's breakfast show to explain why they'd made the big effort. Well, you and I both know that this has been a problem for quite a long time, but we've never act, no one's actually gone and had a look at it, other than the academics and um, other journalists in the past. So we um, knew there was an issue. Um, We also knew that the environment was changing, that society was changing and was expecting better from us as well. So just as we hold uh, the power to account, we've got to remember that we're actually very powerful, the media, that Mm -hmm. we actually um, have influence and shape people's opinions and perspectives about the world. TVNZ's breakfast co-host Jenny Mae Clarkson was emotional as she repeated Carmen Parahi's words back to her to describe how Māori have felt that power from the media. You've also said that one of the reasons for doing this is so my kids don't have to carry the pain we as Māori have carried for so long because of the way we've been portrayed in the media over three centuries and that day has a long time coming. And so I thank you for the work that you have done. But talk to us about what it was like to go to your colleagues and say we need to do something about this. And answering that question from Jenny Mae Clarkson made Carmen Parahi herself pretty emotional too. I actually had enough. I was about to walk away from journalism, but I decided um, that actually I'm going to fight for this uh, because I'd had enough about the way Māori were being portrayed and put down. And I knew you would set me off, Jenny, man. I knew you would do this. This is big stuff, though. It is, it is. And I'm so pleased that our media organisation can say sorry to Māori because... People don't understand that the way we've been portrayed for so long has really impacted on our lives. And Carmen Parahi went on to point out it wasn't only her feelings that were hurt by this. It ran in the whanau a long way back. I know that my grandfather, he had letters to the editor in his uh, scrapbooks. So when he passed away, I saw those letters to the editor and they... They were so racist and horrible, and they were from Pākehā people in his community in Hawke's Bay, and, they were, and he had kept them all that time. And so I always knew that I wanted to come into journalism to give Māori a voice because I knew that we'd been marginalised for so long. But it's taken me 20 years to be able to actually do that and help and to actually make it means to start to redress some of those and rebalance some of that for us. And it's not just in Nelson that racist letters to the editor have inflamed feelings. As part of the Tamato Porno Project, Esther Ashby Coventry wrote a long and enlightening piece called Poison Ink, all about inflammatory letters to the editor in her paper since the 1870s. And not just back in the day, she also went to meet 83-year-old David D.H. Darling, who's been writing letters to the editor of the Timaru Herald every week since 2007. The article says the letters are often disparaging about Māori and other minorities. 
And as Kamen Parhi pointed out on TVNZ's Breakfast Show, many critics, campaigners, scholars and other journalists have also in the past pointed out racial bias and outright racism in our media, both past and present. For example, in an essay called Māori News is Bad News, Dr Ranganui Walker highlighted the supremacy of the coloniser in contemporary and historic journalism in a book called What's News, which weighed up the state of the New Zealand media back in 2002. And that book was a follow-up to one called Who's News, published 10 years earlier, in which broadcaster and mana media founder Derek Fox was asked, how important are the media to Māoridom? I think the reverse question is more important, he replied. Māori people need a media which are able to professionally and without bias report the Māori perspective and bring that forward, he said. Since then, an academic analysis of newspaper stories about Māori issues published in 2004, 2007 and 2008 found that Māori stories worked a narrow range of topics and prioritised Pākehā sources over Māori ones, even in articles specifically about Māori issues. In 2012, a research study of anti-Māori themes in New Zealand journalism concluded negative mass media representations of Māori undermine the fundamentals of equity and justice in our society, and its authors challenged the media to represent Māori more fairly and our society more honestly. And two years after that, the Human Rights Commission released what it called a media scan, which concluded that the media published fewer positive stories about Māori than other ethnic groups. When this flawed survey singled out stuff papers, especially the Taranaki Daily News, the company reacted defensively, as they did the same year when critics condemned cartoons they'd published depicting Māori or Pacific families as bludgers, and MP Louisa Wall complained, unsuccessfully in the end, to the Human Rights Commission. So back then there was obviously less appetite for self-examination at stuff or concern about the lasting effect such portrayals might have had. This year though, the Black Lives Matter movement did prompt some media here to re-examine their own record of racial bias. Earlier this year, here at Media Watch, we looked at the responses of the New Zealand Herald after it was challenged by one of its own contributors and whether RNZ was meeting its own expectations in its Māori strategy that was put in place five years earlier. And we also looked at how the advertising and marketing industry was confronting its own diversity deficit. But now, stuff has gone much deeper into its own history and brought forward much more to the public than any other outlet before in its Our Truth Tamato Pono initiative. It's also got a new charter that commits the company to redressing wrongs, to foster trust and deeper relationships with Māori and better representation of contemporary Aotearoa. Well, one Pākehā journalist who identified many of these same problems 40 years ago was former Auckland Star reporter Gary Wilson. He set up training and induction courses for new Māori and Pacific journalists back in 1980, and then he co-founded the first private Māori news publisher, Mana Māori Media, with broadcaster Derek Fox. And more recently, he was one of the founders of the digital platform Etangata, publishing long-form journalism and commentary on Māori issues you won't find elsewhere. Receiving a New Year's honour this year for his services to Māori and Pacific journalism, he said that mainstream media remains too comfortably white. Now, one of his fellow trustees at Etangata is Dale Husband, also a former colleague years ago at Mana Māori Media. Since then, Dale's been a long-serving broadcaster on Radio Wātea, the Māori radio station run by the Manako Urban Māori Authority, part of the network of 22 iwi radio stations around the country. Now, Dale does the breakfast show at Radio Wātea, and just after coming off air one day this week, he joined me, along with Gary Wilson, to talk about Stuff's Our Truth Tamato Pono project. So, do they think the initiative will change Stuff's journalism for the better? 
and with it, New Zealand media in general. But first, I asked Gary about the interesting relationship between the two. Full disclosure, I suppose, for uh, the benefit of the audience that uh, you two have known and worked with each other on and off over many years. And I hear there's actually some sort of arrangement between the two of you involving uh, the transfer of alpaca dung. Uh, Mr Wilson, (laughs) please explain. You know, a lot of Maori and PI media has struggled along with uh, um, very dependent on koha, you know, with people contributing in all sorts of ways. Karen is a keen gardener and has has become aware of how potent alpaca poo is. We have occasionally helped uh, Dale and Karen cause by offering plastic bags of Alpaca poo for the for the garden, not a a standard professional media arrangement, but it's one that we've got with with our very good friends Dale and Karen. And Dale, you're satisfied with the quality of the alpaca dung? <laughs> I've, I've been stunned, but what pleases me most, too, Colin, is the fact that it's Gary, an esteemed friend who's out there under trees shoveling it, thinking of me while he does so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Dale, uh, you uh, have been doing your breakfast show, as you do uh, all week long. Has Stuff's initiative been a lively topic? Has it been something that's created much discussion for, for your listeners and guests? It has. you know. So it should have, but it, we haven't dwelled on it because apologies come and go, Colin. It was welcome. Groundbreaking, some see it. But others think, well, it's a news item that came and went pretty quickly as we focus on more important things, namely uh, what's going to happen as a result and what our future holds. Mm. And Gary, do you believe that this apology and this digging back into the history and and the analysis of of the reporting of the past, do you think it was appropriate or actually effective? It's welcome. Um, In terms of effectiveness, stuff you know, along with the rest of the mainstream media, has caused so much damage through the generations in misleading New Zealanders about Maori and the relationships and history of New Zealand. And a number of New Zealanders will will still go to their grave with a very warped view. That won't be changed at all quickly. And in the meantime, I think quite impossible to gauge. So let's not be too quick about assessing effectiveness. Well, Dale, uh, Stuff has not just apologised, but also published this charter, which they've described as a commitment to redressing wrongs and doing better in future ways that will help us foster trust in our work and deeper relationships with Māori and better representation of contemporary Aotearoa. Uh, Do you think, I mean, those are fine words, do you think it will achieve this and that they are capable of it? Well, look, it's encouraging, isn't it, Colin, that they are doing so. It does force other organisations to hold a mirror to themselves, and it's also a reminder to us as a people, too, about the importance of the media as a sector, the cornerstone of mainstream coverage over the years, have had a massive impact, as Gary has touched on. So I think it is very good that the organisation are committing to do a better job going forward. I hope that flows on to other mainstream organisations, too, because, you know, the description initially of the savages and then the activists and the troublemakers and the gangsters, you know, has flowed through into wider New Zealand's perceptions of things, Māori, and we've 
As far as stuff's internal work ahead, promising to do better, I wish them well. It's still an influential platform, uh, albeit bought for a dollar, I see, by the uh, new owner. It's encouraging that they've committed to do a better job. But um, I think that we're seeing a new generation of New Zealanders more accepting of cultural difference and diversity, and in time maybe we'll, um, we'll result in better coverage uh, across the board. Well, Gary, uh, Stuff's Chief Executive Sinead Boucher said uh, she acknowledged that Māori were underrepresented in its newsrooms and that they would address and redress this. Uh, but this must be difficult for you to hear in a way because it's 40 years since you embarked on training programmes because you went through journalism training yourself and saw uh, that there was virtually no diversity at all. Sure, I remember in 1980 I did a survey which revealed that less than 2% of New Zealand journalists were Maori or Pacific Islanders. And, uh, and over just the course of six or seven years from those courses, um, there were nearly 80 young Maori and PIs who went into journalism. There was a talent there and there was a stepping stone to other courses that we set up, one at Wairiki and Rotorua and another one largely for Pacifica students at um, Manukau. There's one sort of simple thing that can um, lead to spotting brown talent and nurturing and mentoring that talent into significant roles within the media. Yeah, wouldn't be too tough for, for stuff to liaise with us and others and set that in motion. I hope that could be done as early as February or March. Well, Dale, um, RNZ listeners might remember your voice from Mana News Bulletins and Mana Kōrero supplying uh, the bulletins and programmes to RNZ. That that's, that's changed, the journalism effort comes from within. Do you think it's important that mainstream media, if I could call it that, you know, non-Māori media, uh, big media companies, have and make an effort to appoint more Māori journalists throughout their newsrooms? Is that going to make the big difference? Or to you, is it all just trying to, uh, you know, f- fulfil a, a, a quota or something like that or a target doesn't necessarily mean the journalism and the main messages will change? Yeah, I think I agree with your last statement there, Colin. Uh, Much of the change that we need will come off the Pākehā pen. And so for non-Māori journalists, a reality check, a decolonisation opportunity for them as well to factor in the cultural dimensions into the way that they cover issues would be appropriate. And I'm also going to cut some of those guys some slack, Colin, because a lot of people, sadly, the way we've compartmentalised our suburbs and uh, the way we live in Aotearoa now sees a lot of people in the media grow up with very little, if any, contact with Māori people. I've been playing sports together, going to school together, going home for a kai together. And so you can corral yourself um, in a a scene that has very little contact with Māori or Pacifica people. And so you can grow up with a, a skewed impression I harbour some confidence that we're moving collectively in the right direction. And Gary, you think stuff is doing this now because it's coming from them, the journalists, and their new leader and the new management of the company, and that's why they want to put the stake in the ground? Or 
do you think they've looked at wider society and thought, hang on, we don't want to be on the wrong side of history there, and it's really the push coming from the other side? It seems to me it's it's partly just a matter of, of timing. The fragments of the Maori and Pacific Island media, which include e, e Tangata and, and include Mihi and Annabelle with the Hui and a number of others too, well, we've been on show for long enough to keep sort of demonstrating that there are significant and very readable stories and programs of that world that the mainstream media has been misrepresenting. You know, there's a bigger contrast now coming from the Maori and Pacific Island voices than what's coming from the largely white mainstream voices. It may be just that it's the combination of people within stuff, you know, looking around them and recognising the problems, but also feeling, having enough fire in their belly to actually do something about it. And it seems like Carmen has been critical in that, but it's also, I'm sure, an opportunity for reviewing the whole scene with Sinead and her dollar coming into the scene. And just finally, Dale, I mean... All the years that you've been in broadcasting and, you know, Gary working for 40 years, you know, between the two of you pointing out blind spots in coverage and failures in recruitment and career progression and so on, why do you think it is now that our biggest publisher of news, our most national news company, is doing this now and it just hasn't happened over the past 40 years? I don't know this lady who took over the uh, the role there. Um, to be honest, Colin, I don't think it was too difficult for the staff of to delve into the archives to, to find the misrepresentation, the bigotry, the racism, um, the stereotyping that has existed for 150 years. But I do dip my lid and take my hat off to the organisation that they have been bold enough to do it. It's had an impact on our Māori media kaimahia workers, and you know that was um, a great achievement. Where to from here is the next step, and uh, I harbour some hope that because of their efforts, we'll uh, head collectively into a stronger position in the future. But for us in the Māori media, we've known of this for a long time, and uh, I'm pleased that that reality has been shared more widely. That was Dale Husband, a long-time broadcaster on Radio Wātea and formerly at Mana Māori Media, which was co-founded by Gary Wilson back in the 1980s. And the pair are both trustees and editors of the online Etangata publishing platform, which publishes journalism and commentary on Māori and Pacific issues. Now, as we heard earlier, the Taranaki Daily News, which has been in print since 1857, was accused of racial bias in its coverage by the Human Rights Commission five years ago. And that's long before Stuff, now under new management, embarked on the Our Truth Tomato Pono project. Now, that survey had its flaws, but the editor at the time, Roy Pilot, acknowledged failings at his paper and an urgent need to recruit more Māori journalists. Now, Roy left the paper soon after, and these days he's the editorial director of local papers further north in Cambridge and Te Awamutu. So Hayden Donnell asked Roy Pilot this week, what was it like to be accused of racist reporting, and what does he make of the new initiative at his former company? If you define racist as prejudice against or antagonistic towards people uh, on the basis of their racial or ethnic group, then mainstream media, me included, would have to put our hands up and say, yes, we, we were uh, and have been. Um, the, 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 but what I'm saying is that the, the circumstances are 
that because we have presented news through a Western lens, it simply has not worked for Māori, and you've got a, a distancing as a, as a consequence of that. And certainly, if you have a look at the makeup of newsrooms now, they are predominantly European. Promising and, and, and outstanding Māori journalists are now finding a new vocation working for Māori, uh, presenting Pānui for tribes. You were interviewed by Jeremy Rose for Media Watch back then when the HRC report came out. And at the end of the interview, we found that maybe some of the HR's criticisms were a bit flimsy, but he asked you, what's the makeup of your newsroom? And it was predominantly Pākehā. What, and, what steps did you take? And, and the, the, the steps that you can take, it, it's in terms of how you put your newsroom together, uh, you can put the adverts out and you can invite applications. The difficulty that, that I consistently found was that if I advertised the position, the applicants that didn't come in droves from Nigeria uh, were all largely from European journalists looking for work on the paper. Uh, finding Māori reporters who felt motivated and wanted to work in mainstream media was extremely difficult. And, um, and I would imagine it remains that way today. But is that because, A, some of the pathways are broken, but B, we, do, we, we have a blinkered view of how to find journalists and engage Māori in these positions. So, for instance, here at RNZ, it's definitely not perfect, but it has an internship program that's uh, given opportunities to people like Te Aniwa Hurihanganui. And is it that we have to think outside the box in terms of giving Māori a voice in media organisations? Yes, work has to be done in that area to encourage Māori to come along and tell Māori stories because if you don't, then you never hear them. Well, you'll find them on websites of Māori organisations, but they won't find their way into mainstream media. So, yes, work has to be done in that area, absolutely. Is that partly because the people that are in charge of people like you and me, they're Pākehā, and it's not natural for you to look for a reporter that's working in a Māori organisation or, or you just don't think of it? Is it our blinkeredness that is actually the problem here? I'd be disappointed in myself if I, if I was blinkered. Um, I was always conscious as, as an editor that we had a, a, a considerable difficulty in telling stories uh, from a Māori perspective. And the primary reason was that there was no connection, and if there was a connection, there would be some suspicion as to how we would handle it. Look, this is a bit of a, a weak example, but look, if you're a member of a Lions Club or a member of a Rotary Club, um, you want to get publicity for something positive you're doing. It's easy. You pop down to the paper and you have a chat and how a story appears. Mm. If you're working on a, on a Māori incorporation, which is doing a great deal of work clearing, clearing back blocks and, and, uh, and doing pest eradication, you don't read about that. And those organisations don't feel any, any particular desire to come along and, and tell you what they're doing. A lot of the work goes, goes unreported, I suspect, and simply you know, not followed. Uh, that's, where, that's where the challenge is, I think, you know, which is why I'm, I'm pleased that staff has, have said this is, this is not a set and forget. Um, this is something that they, that they want to work on. That's the right way to do it. Now, back in 2014, when you were criticised, did you think about issuing an apology of your own back then? You were a stuff paper. Stuff has apologised for the Taranaki Daily News' coverage of Parihaka as mm. part of this recent apology. Did you think about going back to your past coverage and apologising then? No, I didn't. Uh, that thought didn't occur to me. I didn't think of going back to 
uh, 100 years and, and have a look at what we, what we had done and, and how we had shaped opinions. If you could go back to your younger self as an editor and tell, give yourself some advice on how to address this issue in particular, what would you do? I would try and do what I did at the time, which was to try and uh, improve relationships with Māori organisations to the point where there was some trust developing. I did feel that at the Taranaki Daily News, relations with Māori improved um, in the time that I was there, uh, and I took some pride in that, Um, but a long way to go. Would you also really make a conscious dedicated effort to promote Māori voices and to to go outside the usual pathways to employ Māori people and get their perspective inside the paper? If I could, and, and we go back to what I was saying earlier, that if you don't have people coming forward, you're in a very difficult position. That excuse sometimes can be used as a way of just dismissing the problem and, and allowing it to persist. But, look, I, I, accept, I accept your point that... Uh, perhaps a, uh, a sit-down and a, and a discussion around these issues uh, 10, 15 years ago would have been appropriate. I, I, I totally agree with you. Look, I think the great thing is that it is now a discussion. It wasn't a discussion this time last week, and it is now. And hopefully we will see some changes. Hey, thank you so much, Roy. You're welcome. That was Roy Pilot, the editorial director of the local papers Cambridge News and Te Aumutu News, and formerly also the editor of the stuff paper based in New Plymouth, Taranaki Daily News. And there he was talking to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell. Now, Roy Pilot was in charge at that paper at a time when New Plymouth's Mayor Andrew Judd declared himself a recovering racist, and that sparked a controversy which played out in the media, both locally and nationally. Andrew Judd's backing for Māori Wards on the local council was also condemned at the time on TVNZ1's Seven Sharp show by the host, Mike Hosking. And that, in turn, prompted on-air criticism from another TVNZ host, Miriam Kamo, the presenter of TVNZ's current affairs shows Sunday and Marae. Like most Māori, I have lived with casual and often deliberate racism my entire life. But when we use a powerful primetime television platform to dismiss and ignore racism in our community, in my view, that's unacceptable. And it's not often the presenter of one new show criticises the presenter of another one on the same channel. Now, Miriam Kamo went on to praise Andrew Judd for acknowledging and confronting racism in his backyard back in 2015. So how did she feel last Monday when Stuff did the same? <laughs> my first reaction was shock. And then I think I tweeted, I feel, I feel tearful. And, um, you know, when the needle moves, you realise two things. One, that it's really just such a simple action to do that. Uh, and the second thing is that it happens with such devastating difficulty and there is no need for it. And so the years and years and years that you spend uh, as a, as a Māori, for me, as a Māori woman, um, living with the everyday reality of racism, And then on top of that, the experience of it, uh, again, as a Māori journalist. The other thing um, that it brought home in in, in quite a crashing way was how much we absorb um, as professionals in our various careers, whether we're, you know, journalists or or in any other sector, um, you realise just how much you've been absorbing and how much um, your shock absorbers have been wearing away 
uh, over the years. So when something like this happens, it really has the potential to undo you. And I, I did feel, yeah, I got undone for um, a good few days. In fact, that was why I originally said no to doing this interview was because I, you know, I was feeling a bit fragile. So, but fra fragile, but also so grateful and so hopeful. You know, I mean, I suppose media companies could just quietly reform themselves internally and kind of try and leave it behind that way. But to actually put a stake in the ground for the public and say, this is our new attitude, this is what we're doing, this is our promise going forward, that really means something? That really meant something to me. And I know there's there's uh, rightful caution around it, but in the moment of receiving it, yeah, as I say, I felt real gratitude and um, and, and a bit of fragility around um, realising how hard it had been. Uh, yeah, so yes, it did make a big difference to see stuff come out and make a huge statement about it. That's not to say that I think that every uh, organisation needs to do this, because in fact, I know that um, uh, uh, if we're only talking about my industry, I know that a lot of uh, different media organisations have been and are looking at um, the way that we all go forward, you know. And so there has been um, really wonderful changes going on that I do know about. I think every media organisation needs to deal with it in their own way. And, um, you know, in a way, stuff doing it so publicly, um, I think probably takes the pressure off, really, actually, or takes the pressure off others but I'm more interested in the action that's going on and knowing that, um, you know, for example, at TVNZ, we've, we've been working on these issues for some time um, and we haven't gone public on it. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think that every organisation needs to come out publicly. I think each organisation needs to look at its own operations, decide what it's going to do and just take some action. You know, really, it's not a big deal to take the action that's needed. Um, it's a bigger deal not to. When we came to that issue of uh, recruitment earlier we were speaking to Gary Wilson and he was saying look that would be the issue okay the apology uh, the recognition is fine from stuff but it really would be you know what's what's the story in your own newsrooms uh, that would be the thing they could correct um, but it is complicated isn't it because I mean often if there are not so many Māori journalists in newsrooms. Back when Gary Wilson uh, tried to change things, there was no Māori television. Um, in fact, a whole range of Māori media just, just wasn't an option for Māori journalists. That complicates the picture too, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, can, I think there's a real crisis in the pipeline of, of uh, Māori journalists coming into the industry. And I'm working with the, with the um, Broadcasting School in Christchurch to mentor the young Māori students and, and brown students that they have coming through to encourage them not to just go to one place but to consider coming uh, into mainstream, into Māori media, wherever they want to go, but not to feel um, that they need to be pigeonholed in any way. Uh, for most of my career, I've been the only Māori in my team. And um, uh, particularly early on in my career, it was a really hard and alienating, um, isolating place to be, um, trying to pitch uh, good news Māori stories and, and having them shot down. You know, I remember one producer saying, you know, has this person been in prison? Have they at least been in trouble with the police? Oh, well, you know, it's not really a story. You had to harden up very quickly. There's only so much one person can do in a team. Having said that, I have worked with amazing Pākehā allies over the years and people who really want to um, properly uh, reflect our entire nation. I used to go around talking to students earlier in my career and say, please, please come into mainstream. So often they would say, well, no, we, we don't want to because we feel like we're going to be alienated. We feel like people won't understand us. We'd rather go to Māori media. And I didn't really have an argument for that other than the more of us that there are, 
the better it will be. And um, and I, I'm, I'm really feeling some hope. But at the same time, I talked about a crisis at the beginning of this very long answer. Um, and I think that there is a crisis. Um, we have in our mainstream um, newsrooms, five to eight percent would be Maori. I feel like it's starting to improve, but but we we just need to have more young ones feeling safe. Now, moves like stuff, things that that TVNZ is doing, that that sort of thing helps if we can prove to young ones coming in that you will be safe here and you will be looked after and you will be understood. Crucially, you'll be understood then they will want to come. Yeah, I'm told the level of um, of Māori journalism in stuff is around about that same level that you mentioned there, sort of 5, 6, 7, 8%, although they're embarking, I think, on a full kind of tally of their staff and employees across the business. But what about at the kind of leadership level? Back in the days when TVNZ had its charter, for example, created a role of kaihutu and had Honey Edwards filling that role, and people kind of sneered at mm. it and figured, OK, so they're putting a Māori at the management table, but what does this really change? Uh, there was scepticism about that. But is that something that's kind of missing? Yes, you can do the recruitment, as you say, and, and get the bodies in in the newsroom and and that will have an effect certainly but in terms of leadership is that where it really needs to happen yep absolutely we need more maori in management um through every level of our organizations we need maori voices in there and not just because it feels good <laughs> and feels like the right thing to do but because it actually is the right thing to do it's the only way you know our job as journalists is to reflect the whole story with all the messy and convenient bits with all the bits that we don't get so, you know, if you have uh, Māori at every level, you, you, you couldn't help but, net, you know, change the way that you um, look at the world. Um, and that is something that has been happening at TV and said that it's, it start, it's at the beginning and there's a long way to go, but the feeling is right. Well, actually, in our earlier interview with Gary Wilson, where we looked at that issue of recruitment, he was saying, just get on with it. And this could be set up by, you know, February, March, in his words, um, that he didn't think it was all that difficult to do. And indeed, it was something he did uh, back in the day. But how do you think um, is the best way to go about it if if there is, as you say, a crisis of getting people through at the entry level of of journalism? You know, we need to go to high schools and, and really we need to sell our industry and say, please come. You'll be looked after. Um you know, I'm, I am really concerned about um, the number of young Māori coming into the industry that we don't have enough. There's huge competition for the few that are there. There is plenty of work for anyone who wants to come in. Talk to me or talk to somebody in the, in, in the industry that you know um, might be able to open those doors for you. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the Christchurch Broadcasting School is where I am doing my mentoring. I'm not sure that Gary's right about it. I mean, because it really depends on the number of people that you have to draw on. So, for example, Christchurch Broadcasting School had no enrolments of Māori this year at all. And it wasn't for lack of wanting. They didn't apply. If this is something media organisations themselves can address through internships or uh, reaching out. Um, but, for, for example, that's that's difficult. Some like TVNZ, for example, a few years back actually outsourced its um Māori programming and Pacifica programming unit, didn't it? So, you know, if you don't have the structure to be able to do it, that, mm-hmm. that becomes harder. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a matter of figuring out what that structure should look like and maybe having to sort of build something from scratch. And maybe Gary's right in that sense. You know, I think, you know, one of the problems is actually asking the people who already have full time jobs to do this. Gary Wilson spoke about paying Dale Husband and Al Pakapu from his property in Pukekoe uh, for the work he, he'd been doing for Etangata.
Oh, oh my God! Really? <laughs> yes, he's, he's saying you know so much of this, oh so much of this has to operate on you know koha and because uh, they're operating on financial margins and to get Etangata up and up and running and, and continuing and alpaca dung became um, you know currency and part of the work he was doing for oh Etangata. So um, you know one of the things that I um, that frustrates me enormously, and it's not just in my um, industry, but you know across so many different organisations and from so many different Maori, I hear the same thing: we are being paid. This is something that I would like to see change because if we really care about making the changes that we need to to reflect all of the stories of this nation and to do it properly, if we're going to do this in a genuine and authentic way then we have to acknowledge that in getting the stories of Māoridom right and getting the stories of this nation right, everything needs to be right. And the respect starts right at the beginning of asking. So, you know, hire people to create the frameworks that are needed, put the right resource behind it, put money behind it, uh, to put your care of what you want to have happen in your organisation on the line, like actually resource it properly. What I suppose we haven't talked about is really that body of work that stuff has put out on the Monday and then rolled out through the week. Uh, more than 20 journalists working on this project in each region where they publish. Uh, what parts of this body of work uh, you know, really stood out for you and you think were good for you know, New Zealanders and stuff's audience to, to be able to read and absorb? <laughs> Do you know one of the things that I noted this week was just the avalanche of stories that stuff was coming out with saying, um, listen, we did this wrong. Look, we re- this is how we reported that. And it was all it was all, almost overwhelming. Mm, right down to the, um, the letters to the editor, a really long piece by reporter the Timaru Herald. And, uh, you know, so I'm scrolling down. I read it on the screen. I'm only halfway through all the content they've put out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is just week one. <laughs> so blimey, what else is to come? There was the headline, this, this man is a killer in profiling demographic that supposedly is, is the greatest killer in, in road accidents. But stuff saying, well, actually, we didn't report the whole facts. Yeah, this was a newspaper story um, from, I think, the early 1990s, a story published back then. Yes. Again, I return to that sense of, first of all, feeling like, wow, um, this is amazing. But the deep sense of grief, yeah, that um, we've had to absorb this over the years and we've had to live with it. And now I'm getting emotional. (laughs) Um, Because it becomes part of your everyday reality that you just, you take the hits every day. Um, And I'll take the, you know, the journalism part out uh, out of it for me for a moment. But as a human being, that is the reality that we live with every day as Māori and have done for generations of seeing ourselves reflected as killers, as not good enough, as murderers, as, as everything that's not good um, about humanity. And, and then on the, the flip side, the noble savage, where we use to, to, um, to do what is too often in tingling haka, you know, we're reduced to stereotypes everything that you live with in your life and that you absorb and you take on and you stop seeing as shocking until it's shown to you by the by the perpetrator really that it was wrong and you you realize yeah it was what i have lived with for all this time it's been so wrong but is there i wonder a bit of a fish hook in this for stuff and that having put forward this principles uh, the set of principles and made this commitment that it could now be used as a bit of a stick to beat them on people who think they're not living up to him. And when Carmen Parahi was on Morning Report last Monday uh, being interviewed about Stuff's new initiative, 
she was asked about a story published just the day before. The Sunday Star Times had done a, a feature where the journalist accompanied Oranga Tamariki social workers in a very difficult um, case involving the removal of a child. And, you know, Carmen was asked, look, you know, here's your organisation saying you're going to do everything you can to stop looking at the world through a, a dominant Pākehā lens, and yet here's an organisation which has faced criticism for exactly that, owned up to being racist, and here is an article which has no um, acknowledgement of, you know, the, the other side of the story. If they're now looking at stories and thinking, oh, it's still hard to get that perspective, maybe we just won't deal with this issue because if we do and it ends up looking one-sided, we look like we're not living up to our principles. There must be a kind of chilling effect from that because it's still going to be as hard for them to, to tell those stories, you know, fully in a way that lines up with these principles they've just declared. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm sure there will be a lot of challenges ahead and they've really laid their self, themselves bare. And so um, they're going to be held to a really high account, but all of our media organisations should be held to a high account. Um, so, yes, there will be challenges and difficulties in getting that balance right. What I care about is that they have declared their intention to get it right and, and um, that means that they're going to have some mountains to climb. Um, in doing that. But, you know, we have to go with it anyway. We can't be frightened of, of what might go wrong in trying to get it right. That was Miriama Kamal, presenter of TVNZ's current affairs shows Marae and Sunday, and as we heard there, also a mentor to younger Māori and Pacifica journalists, which, as we also heard there, editors and publishers say they find hard to find and place in their newsrooms. Now, one figure who might end up playing the role in this in the coming years is Willie Jackson. For years, he was the chief executive at Dale Husband's station Radio Waitea and its news service Waitea News. But now, he's the Minister of Māori Development in the new government. The day that stuff launched Our Truth, Tamato Pono, Māori Television's reporter Rukawai Tipene Allen asked him if other media should follow stuff's lead. Uh, mainstream media has got a lot to answer for in terms of uh, Māori uh, coverage of Māori issues. Uh, it's a shame that the Herald doesn't take it up to. Mike Hoskins uh, and a number of other groups who uh, um, owe uh, Māori an apology for the way we've been treated over the years. And Rukawai Tipini Allen went on to ask other media organisations if they would follow Stuff's lead with a similar audit of their record on race and an acknowledgement of failings in the past. Well, none did, though they did applaud Stuff's effort and said they needed to do better and were working on it. And Rukawai Tipini Allen wound up with this. It seems the media scape now see the importance of Māori, but we'll soon see what comes of that, is what she said there. We will indeed. Well, next weekend here on Media Watch, we talk to the Chief Executive of Stuff, Sinead Boucher, about the Our Truth Tamato Pono project and making it work in the future, and indeed the future of her company. She became the owner of most of the country's newspapers for just $1 when she bought Stuff in a deal done during the lockdown at a time when it looked like it could go to the wall. Since then, she's hired more staff, reversed emergency pay cuts imposed during the crisis, and last week she announced that all staff would even get a $1,000 end-of-year bonus. So, how has she done all that? Find out next week, when we'll also be looking at the changing patterns of ownership in New Zealand's media. And we'll also be back again with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night, with Midweek Media Watch on The Lately Show with Karen Hay. And then, back again with Media Watch at the same time next weekend, here on RNZ National.